Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 81, we discuss which US broadcaster is losing money on the World Cup. Kartik finally watches a little bit of Fox's coverage of the World Cup. What the future of Serie A is on US TV, plus a lot of letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer. Uh, a little bit hoarse today. Uh, it's just been a, a week of screaming at, at TV sets and uh, cheering on England, and uh, it's just been. I mean, it's it's been a whole month of World Cup soccer too. So it's uh, it's uh, it's finally catching up on me. And uh, I'm joined today by my co-host Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how, how are you feeling? Are you feeling any better? Yeah, it's it, 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 there's been a um, a World Cup uh, effect that was delayed where I'm just feeling worn down at this point, Chris, and, and uh, then added complications of uh, uh, the Beckham Miami stadium situation. Uh, some things related to AC Milan that, that I've been uh, tracking and, and uh, shout out Ronaldo. It, it never ends. <laughs> yeah. Lots of stuff going on. And that's the thing though, too. I mean, uh, listeners will know this. And, and of course, we know this is during the World Cup. There's always other things happening, too. So whether it's uh, transfer signings, uh, friendly tours being announced, um, other soccer business going on and, of course, the World Cup. So and much, much more. And you've got Major League Soccer in, in Miami and the fast that it is there. Uh, everything that's going on is just uh, it's just insane. So, Kartik, um, there was an article published this morning uh, on Friday. We're recording this uh, in The Guardian um, about Fox's coverage of the World Cup. I, I will say that during the entire World Cup, I don't think I wrote one story about Fox's uh, coverage um, because in some ways it was so bad that it kind of did the talking for itself. And uh, I kind of just steered away from it because I was like, you know, we've been talking about, about it on the podcast every week. Um, there's not necessarily a need to kind of go in and just hammer, ham- keep, keep on hammering away uh, there was so much that was bad with this um, with this coverage, but you got a chance to watch it a little bit at least, and 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 to hear some of the analysis and commentary, uh, probably for the first time during the whole tournament. Yeah, so um, during the England Belgium game, uh, or sorry, not England Belgium, England Sweden game, I watched Fox and I thought that uh, Derek Ray and Ali Wagner were 
uh, pretty good. I mean, I, some of your critiques of Ali Wagner, I, I would agree with. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of, um, and this is an American tendency, I think, an, an American tendency to overanalyze certain things when you're a co-commentator. Um, and, and she certainly did that, but she was also very good and very on point uh, about some of the other things going on in that match. Which- I, I, I will say, though, I will just chime in just for a second, Kartik, and just say that she's gotten better. And yeah. th- throughout the World Cup, she got better and better. And then towards the end, when they made the announcement, Fox made the announcement that uh, for the semifinals and the final, uh, all of the games would be commentated by John Strong and Stuart Holden. I'm like, oh, come on. That's not fair because Derek uh, Ray and Ali Wagner had commentated each of the England games throughout the entire tournament. And to me, they deserve to get that. Um, Ali Wagner, definitely not the best, but it's, I mean, she's new to the industry and she's getting better in terms of her commentating. Um, and I just thought that was kind of um, kind of Fox pulling the rug rug out at the last yeah. minute. I thought it was a I mean, poor her, her choice. commentary is pretty good on NWSL game matches and on Lifetime. I've tended to watch those, and, and uh, uh, she certainly, uh, I I think in terms of that league, she's certainly probably the most knowledgeable person out there. I mean, when they've thrown Julie Foudy onto those broadcasts, she hasn't been as knowledgeable. Obviously, I think global football, world football, men's and women's Foudy might be more knowledgeable than Allie Wagner, but uh, she has not been when she's uh, been around NWSL and the NWSL broadcast. Uh, that having been said, Ian Wright, and, and I'm going to talk about Ian Wright also uh, on ITV uh, Wednesday uh, in a little bit. Uh, Ian Wright was awful, uh, just just terrible. Uh, I think um, Kelly Smith added a little, but not a whole lot. Uh of, of analysis. Lawless was good on that game. I saw Lawless later in the week and he wasn't so good. Although I don't think Lawless had, and again, I've watched very little Fox. Lawless has not come across as the clownish figure people are making him out to be, at least from my perspective, he's come across more as just someone without much depth in his analysis and without much, um, understanding of tactics. He's more into the player psychology side of things. And, and, uh, and, and talking about um, those sorts of factors, and um, that's there's a there's a place for that yeah. on, a, on a broadcast. But I don't think he's particularly uh, insightful, and I, I just think Rob Stone is terrible. I mean, he's just yeah. He was a guy that essentially did the sort of things uh, that Rachel Veneta is doing quite well. I've watched some of her, her work on Twitter, Fox work on Twitter. He essentially that was his role when he was at ESPN for World Cups. Now he did he did do studio in 2002 if I remember correctly and I, I wasn't that annoyed by him then but again we talked about this before and we actually had a a, 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 a commenter or two on Twitter agree with uh, my analysis last week that Brian McBride has gone from being a dud on Fox to being very good on ESPN FC on that pro on the ESPN FC program yep. which again indicates to me. It's a lot, you know, we can pick on personalities, but I think a lot of it is an institutional Fox thing and how they prepare their broadcasters and how they present their broadcasts. Yeah, and we're not going to go kind of uh, in-depth today <clears throat> on Fox. We're not going to go into a lot more detail, but I, I did want to mention it because uh, it's the first time that you've had a chance to actually kind of watch it, which goes to show how bad Fox's coverage has been, where there's been so many of us, you I mean, I don't even speak Spanish and I've watched most of the World Cup on Telemundo, uh, and, and others have sought other means of watching this World Cup, that the coverage has been so bad that we've gone elsewhere. Uh, I have to say this, though. If ESPN FC did not have a nightly show, which for the last couple of weeks has been airing regularly at 5 p.m. Eastern um, on, on ESPN2, and then obviously I have ESPN Plus, so I can always watch it there, uh, I, um, I probably would have 
I, I'm, well, I hesitate to say this, but I probably would have watched more Fox because I think I was still getting enough English language analysis uh, from ESPN FC's nightly show. In addition to the bits here and there, you, I, I would see a BN and uh, BN's coverage in, in the Middle East and North Africa and then ITV or BBC. So yeah. I think uh, had ESPN not continued the nightly program during the World Cup, and you and I talked about this eight months ago, Chris, yeah. um, I probably would have switched to Fox sooner. But um, well, ESPN made it possible not to. Yeah, well, I think, Kartik, you would have probably done the same thing that I would have done or and, and many of the listeners would have done, which was given Fox a chance. And after about three or four days of their really, really basic analysis, you would have said, you know what? It, I, you're better off either not watching it at all uh, or watching another broadcaster or just tuning in for the games themselves. And I found that too. Even, even the England-Croatia um, England game, I was like, you know what? I don't even have to tune in before the game to get any pre-match analysis because the, the, the analysis is so dumbed down and so vanilla that I can just tune in at, you mean, once the game's getting ready to kick off, and, and there you go. And, and it actually freed up so much more time uh, to go into games and, and even at halftime or post-match to freeze up times to do other stuff because the analysis was just, it, it wasn't even worth watching. So for me, I, and I, I would imagine the same thing probably would have happened to you. I mean, you, you gave, you I mean, you listened to Fox and with Atlantis, and Atlantis in bites is good, um, yeah. but for this World Cup, there's so many just hot takes, and and really he was on, he was on uh, he was on the television too much every single day. It well, was that like, oh. speaks to the weakness of their lineup, right? right. So so in fairness to Lalas again, I think he's been overexposed, yeah, and he's had to work too much, and that's something that never happened at ESPN with any of their pundits. I mean, you could argue. I mean, it, 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 there were times. Um, Taylor Twelman would pop up if he wasn't broadcasting a match. He'd just pop up in the studio in London, not London, sorry, in Paris uh, during the Euros, right, to, to give some yep. some um, some quick studio uh, analysis. But it would normally be a short segment. Okay, hey, Taylor's got the day off. He and Dark don't have a game today. What's your thoughts on this match we just saw? What's your thoughts on on uh, Wales and 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 uh, and uh, Slovakia? And he would give that right, yep. but it wasn't this. Any studio program that Fox has, and even when I've seen them on in the background, Lawless has been on. Um, I haven't watched World Cup tonight. I haven't watched one second of that. Uh, so maybe that's the exception. But in terms of bumper coverage around games, he's on all the time. And I think that that's very difficult um, for any um, commentator, athlete, performer to just be on every day for 30 days in a row right. uh, in in three-hour blocks that are separated, you know, an hour or two-hour blocks that are separated. It's, it's also too much for the, for the viewer, too. Yeah. I mean, even if you love Lalas, you might be like, okay, after about a week of him, okay, it's ready for somebody else to take that uh, that that seat in the studio. But, uh, yeah, overall, um, yeah, it was... I mean, to me, actually, Fox got things backwards. I mean, they really kind of emphasized the studio... They spent over a million dollars on the studio set. They brought in all his talent, uh, Lothar Mateus, who never appeared, uh, and, and, and uh, Gus Hiddink, uh, Hernan Crespo. I mean, you go through the list of uh, studio picks or talent that they had going into the World Cup, and uh, it, it was horrible. I mean, Ian Wright was horrible. Uh, Kelly Smith was decent at times, but, I mean, just basic pronunciations of names i mean continuously throughout the entire world cup to me 
really kind of shows that she's not really watching much out of side of the, the English game or, or maybe women's soccer, but she's not really watching oh, she's, La Liga, really Serie A or Champions League. Yeah, I mean, and that's I, I hate to fall into this, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. At least I'm going to bring it up. There are some bad stereotypes. I tend to be defensive of British commentators, but there are some bad stereotypes that I've seen kind of re, re, uh, reemerge this week. And Kelly Smith not knowing much about players outside the Premier League is is, is another one, right? right. Uh, but just in general, um, and I think that was kind of a theme. Um, this week in uh, the coverage of the World Cup in Britain, um, we can and there are exceptions. We can get to that in a few minutes when we get to uh, England, Croatia. But uh, that that was something a concern about Kelly Smith. And then I also think there was just again when I watched Fox, Chris, and I bring this up all the time. I brought this up for years. The the production, the loud graphics, the loud American announcer saying things, even the promotion for the next game was loud and didn't make any sense. It wasn't done. And again, maybe it's personal preferences. Maybe we've just become so used to the way ESPN uh, and NBC present um, intros and outros of segments, intros and outros of studio shows and uh, promotions for for future telecasts that um, we're not tolerant of the way Fox does it. But uh, to me, that that's all, that's worse than the, the commentary teams and worse than the, the yeah. studio talent. Yeah, it's just the way they present things. The just it's terrible. Yeah, there's. Um, I was I was thinking this morning, pretty hard actually, trying to think of okay, what positives can we think about Fox's coverage from this World Cup going into the next World Cup or going into the Women's World Cup? And the only one I could think of that was I would say that uh, from beginning to end was good. It was really kind of um, was interesting to listen to and was good. Was Stuart Holden. And I thought he did a fantastic job commentating throughout this entire tournament. Uh, in terms of where they went wrong, it's, it's almost everything else. The one, the one thing I think that they were missing really was somebody, an English language person or, or somebody that, was, that could uh, speak English very well that had more of a Latino uh, aspect. So, for example, somebody like Hercules Gomez or somebody like Sebastian Salazar, both of these guys with ESPN, but they would have been perfect in this studio set to actually – you mean talk about from the latin angle yes he had moises munoz from the mexican angle but um he wasn't that comfortable in front of the camera after a few days you could tell that he's not used to being in kind of a, a studio set where they're debating topics and one example of this i mean there were so many examples but just one example kelly smith when she's talking about uh mexico and she said uh chicorito I mean, I mean, just basic pronunciation. I've heard, I've heard English people say call them that before. About I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not meant to be picking on her, but just in general, there were so many no, that's a, that's across the, the board. Sometimes with British commentators, which is why, right. you know, going back to someone you mentioned earlier, Derek Ray, who's Scottish, uh, we love so much because he spends so much time and is impeccably prepared for these broadcasts. Yeah, uh, and, the pronunciation, and and that's the thing. Is I think he needed somebody that was kind of a, a bilingual that was on the set that was, you mean, uh, intelligent that could that, that knows, I mean, these things uh, like his or her back of the hand, um, and, and that was one thing I think they missed out, out on. But uh, oh gosh, yeah, it was uh, basically from start to finish pretty bad. I mean, the one thing about the England match, uh, Kartik, about uh, against Croatia. This one I did watch on Fox, but the commentary, I was so sick and tired of John Strong in this game. Um, talking about the same, I mean, one being so talkative, 
two, bringing up so many stats, and then three, going on and on about it's coming home and uh, the 1966 squad and kind of giving all the backstories. I'm like, just shut up. I mean, just let the game breathe. Just call the game. Just concentrate on the game. Commentate the game. Stop talking about all the other stuff. Yeah, and, and, and to me, it reminded me so so much of Arlo White. I was like, oh, I, I was just driving nuts. Yeah, and, and there were right the Arlo White like backstories, of course. And then I think also there was a um, um, situation where he was um, trying to push the England narrative uh, in a way that Fox hadn't earlier in the competition. Again, owing itself to Mexico and Brazil being out of the tournament. So that, that to me was very obvious. And then I also was annoyed uh, by John Strong's call of the Belgium-France game, where I thought he was too talkative. He opened with an American sports analogy. Uh, I, I got sick of him by minute 40 and, and turned uh, uh, to the international feed, which was actually Ian Dark um, calling that. Now, um, I have to say, though, when we talk about John Strong, uh, there are critiques. I still think he's pretty good. Uh, I think Stuart Holden, what I've listened to him now, I, I think he's he's getting to that level, to that elite level. Um, yeah. And I, I I think it may be reps. It may be that that's always been there and he hasn't necessarily been comfortable. We've, we've said uh, positive things about him in the past and his analysis, but I think his timing was – particularly good in the 40 minutes I watched of their coverage of um, Belgium, France, and then the same thing, uh, England, uh, Croatia. I think his timing and, and placement of points were very good. Now, um, again, you, you, you had Strong throwing a lot of stats out there that he had to react to, but I, I thought he did pretty well with that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the questions from John Strong were just really basic questions. I mean, I mean, just trying to lead Stuart uh, along. But uh, so some of the questions could be a little bit more intelligent from John to to kind of ask something of Stuart that was a little bit more in depth uh, or a little bit more analytical. But um, but one thing, I mean, what, what just one example of Stuart Holden, and this was the Belgium uh, Brazil game, and in the first minute of the game. Uh, Stuart Holden pointed out that Belgium was playing a 4-3-3 for the first time in the tournament. And, that, and that's what a really good commentator, co-commentator should be doing, is looking at the pitch, knowing the, the back, you mean, knowing what's happened beforehand in terms of formations and players and positioning and matchups and all those things. And for us, the TV viewer, not being able to see the entire uh, pitch all at once, uh, we're just seeing what, whatever the TV camera is showing us, kind of zooming in. For him to show, to tell us that that that's informative. That's something that adds to the experience of watching this this game. And uh, I mean, Derek Ray partnered with Stuart Holden would have been kind of the dream team, I think, in many ways, in terms of uh, kind of the the best commentator and the best co commentator. That didn't yeah, happen. Um, that didn't happen. Meanwhile, ESPN FC has had a, a tournament full of Maca and uh, Stuart Robson. They don't have Maca for this final week, but they've had Maca for the previous three weeks. And I have to say, I've been critical of him as a co-commentator in the past. As a studio analyst, he's fantastic. And um, Maca doesn't fit that English stereotype. He knows what's going on in La Liga and in Serie A and in the Bundesliga, a little less so in France. But the other three, those three leagues I mentioned, he, he had a real grasp of the players from those leagues and how their club season had gone and, and how they could contribute to uh, um, to, 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 to their sides. I, I was hugely impressed with him during this World Cup uh, when I wasn't in the last Euros or the previous World Cups with ESPN. Um, and also have to mention 
uh, since Cristiano Ronaldo began, I don't know if it was coincidence or it's classic Ronaldo. He he had to obscure World Cup the World Cup for a day or two. Uh, that it was really good to have Maca on the ESPN FC studio team because um, he has an understanding of the politics of Real Madrid um, and Fl- Florentino Perez, the president there. That I you know obviously Sid Lowe brings that to their show as well, but someone in studio actually sitting in Bristol that was able to kind of drive the conversation with Burley and Robson and, and, and Moreno and Dan Thomas uh, on, well, obviously Dan Thomas is <laughs> intimate working knowledge of Real Madrid also. Um, but, you know, I thought that that was really good. So um, I wanted to, I wanted to single out Maca or actually, you know, point out Maca has been very good and Craig Burley has been fantastic this entire tournament. Um, he's been on point. Uh, I know some people are graded by him, but um I've heard more praise of Burley in the last month than I had previously. I think, again, because people are, are watching Fox and then they're watching ESPN FC and they're, they're preferring the ESPN FC coverage. And then Stuart Robson has been just fantastic in studio. I'm, I'm a little surprised, Chris, that nobody in the UK um, has Stuart Robson on their World Cup coverage. I, I'm not quite sure what the reasoning for that is, but we've enjoyed having him here in the States uh, in Bristol during the World Cup. Yeah, that, that's the thing that ESPN does so well, um, and also NBC, and to a lesser extent being sports, is that they can tap into their network. So they can tap yeah. into experts from around the world, whether they're in the studio with them, or they're in Europe, or you know, Steve Bauer, the BBC Studios, or if it's uh, being sports, tapping into some of the experts in Doha. The uh, kind of you know, Andy Gray or whoever it may be, and you know, so Sunis, I, I want to say was fantastic when I saw him the other day. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute, but he was on BN. Yeah, Sunis uh, is one definitely that, uh, again, love him or hate him, but, but he has an opinion and he backs it up and, and tells it the way it is. And, and uh, I haven't had a chance to see him that much uh, of late, but uh, every time it seems to, he's on, he's always, he's always uh, I mean, the Twitter sphere kind of goes, goes crazy, uh, especially in the UK. Yeah, I think that he was very, um, very critical of England, but his, his point was, you have, uh, you know, you can look at the rest of the pitch, right? And you can say England this, England that. They have this advantage or that advantage against Croatia. His point was, and of course, think about the kind of player Sunis was, if you remember his playing career. Yeah. His point was Croatia had Rakitic, they had Modric. They have the two, two of the best ball-playing midfielders in the world. If you're not going to have a tactic to counter the strengths of those two guys, they will pass you to death. And even if you dominate the first half of the game, they will eventually overtake you. And his point was that's happened in every Croatia match in this tournament where Croatia has started slowly. They've fallen behind or they haven't, they haven't looked as good as they could in the first half. And eventually they're probing and passing with those two guys on the ball beats you. And from his perspective, Southgate uh, didn't anticipate this, didn't tactically uh, understand it and never reacted to it. Now, in fairness to Southgate, I would say that he didn't have uh, Oxley Chamberlain, he didn't have Jack, Jack Wilshire, he didn't have Danny Drinkwater, he didn't have one of those English midfielders. And Ox being hurt, I think, is a big, big factor why England is out of this World yeah. Cup. Uh, but um, not having those guys limited his options to kind of slow Croatia's methodical, eventual death by a thousand cuts. That's how we describe how Croatia has been playing this World Cup, and uh, that's why. Uh, I, I think, you know, you can't overreact and say England dominated the first half. But on ITV, if you watch that, I mean, Lee Dixon, we love normally on NBC's Premier League coverage. But Lee Dixon, Ian Wright, very basic analysis. Oh, well, we dominated the first half. We could have been up 3-0, 4-0. I appreciate uh, and obviously Croatia were much better 
uh, from minute 45, 46 to uh, minute 120, yeah. but we could have been up out of sight, but that's not the point. I think Sunis's point is better taken, which is that's the way Croatia's played the entire tournament. And coming into the tournament, you know they have two of the best ball-playing midfielders, if not the two best in the world. So um, you, you, you have to be able to counter that. I, um, I thought Gary Neville made some good points about the Premier League not promoting English players and, and Welsh players and, 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 and uh, players from uh, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, et cetera, um, and made some good points about coaching in the Premier League, but he was entirely too parochial. Uh, I wasn't terribly impressed with Ryan Giggs' um, uh, analysis on, on ITV post game. Uh, Keane was good. Roy Keane was good. And um, let me tell you, the Keane, uh, the Keane moment with um, um, uh, 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 Ian Wright, Right. Uh, Ian and Wright Shira. said absolutely, uh, yeah. Well, Ian Wright had said absolutely nothing of substance that entire uh, of forty-five minute post-game show or whatever. I mean, he he was just awful. But um, as Dan Thomas pointed out on Twitter, uh, to me, I can't remember if it was a general tweet or it was a response to me, but um, that happens all the time on the ESPN FC studio because Burley says something and someone reacts, you know, whether it's Shaka or or, or Casey Keller or who. But um, I didn't think it was that big a deal. I thought Keane was pretty much on the money and England accomplished a lot by getting to the semifinals, but there seemed to be, and this stuns me considering Croatia's history of beating England in, in, in competitive matches in the past, there seemed to be an absolute disrespect and disregard for the quality in Croatia's team. I mean, you're talking about a guy like Kovacic and Real Madrid doesn't even start for Croatia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brozovic, who to me is the best holding midfielder in Serie A uh, this past season, he didn't start. There are a couple games he didn't start now. He did start this England game. Um, there there was the same, Chris, English narrative of they were different coming into this tournament, the English media. But once they got to a certain point in the tournament, the arrogance, the disregard for the opposition, the assumptions that you, that you, you had the better players, the lack of thinking about tactical considerations – all of that stuff that we criticized the, the English press for in the past and, and TV commentators in the UK just came back in this last week and, and bothered me. And I was supporting England. I've been rooting for England this entire World Cup, but I was kind of not bothered when Croatia went through because I said, that's the better team and they had gotten no yep. respect. Right. And Luka Modric even pointed that out post game. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree in terms of uh, Croatia being the better side. Uh, myself having no complaints that uh, Croatia goes through. I mean, it, it, it's straight. It's weird for me too because I, I was born in Wales. Um, my mother's side of the family is 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 c- completely Welsh. I consider myself Welsh and American. I have a U.S. Uh, passport too. Um, but also my dad's from England and my entire uh, dad's side of the family is from England. So oftentimes, I mean, there's always kind of this Wales-England kind of uh, rivalry between the two, the two countries. So oftentimes, if I had to pick between the two, I'd pick Wales. But in the case when Wales is not competing, then I pick England. And, and this was a, a, a game, really, the Croatia-England game. I, I didn't underestimate uh, Croatia at all. I think going into the match, uh, I said to some of my friends, I said, uh, my, my heart wants England to win, win, but my head says that uh, uh, Croatia will, will persevere. I mean, Croatia in many ways is England's bogey team. And yeah. there's a reason that they're the bogey team is because they are so skillful, especially in midfield. And for England, I think that was the part of the, the, the pitch that they actually uh, let down, that were let down on is a lot of it was in terms of not just even the defensive midfielders, but the creative midfielders just uh, 
push you well, know, there the, were the not. through balls. Right, there exactly. Were not, which was uh, uh, Arsenal's point. Sorry. So, Grant but, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, let me so just finish. Ahead. But the, the, the person I thought that they should have used was Fabian Delph. And I, yeah. I thought Delph could have done something a little bit different and actually being, being the creator, the provider a little bit more for England pushing forward. Yeah, they didn't have uh, someone flanking Henderson. And, and, and Henderson, I know, has gotten a lot of criticism, but he had too much work to do. Um, they had, as Graham Sooners pointed out, midfielders uh, that wanted to get on the end of balls and not midfielders who wanted to play with the ball. And again, to Sooners' point, you can only counter a Rakitic or a Modric with similar style players that keep the ball away from Rakitic and Modric. It's not only about winning a ball from uh, Luka Modric or, or, or Ivan Rakitic in a tackle, but it's then about having midfielders that retain possession in midfield and for those two guys to track back more consistently. Instead, um, Sunis's analysis was this was, you know, default England. They were playing long balls mm-hmm. and yeah. um, had midfielders who wanted to get on the end of long balls. So to him, this New England. Now, of course, keep in mind Sunis is Scottish and, and all of that, right? Um, but. Um, he felt like this New England had been overblown based on what he had seen when they came up against a good team, a good midfield. I right. um, also have to point out, you know, guys like Perisic. Um, Perisic is one of the top, at least uh, from a technical standpoint, maybe not from a pace standpoint, top wingers in the world. Um, and uh, Rebic uh, was, you know, the last time I'd seen him before the World Cup was in the uh, German Cup final, and he was he, he was unplayable mm-hmm. in that game. So. Um, they just have a lot of good players. And um, I think the English media, in some respects, did the England side a good a disservice. They were always going to be an underdog against Croatia. They don't have the level of player, particularly in midfield and out, out in wide areas that Croatia has. Uh, they don't have the skill level. Uh, it was pretty uh, pretty good, the fight they put up against a team that you know was always, you know, particularly when you give them 30 extra minutes, going to pass you to death. Yep. Um, and that's what happened with Spain in the 2010 <laughs> World Cup, by the way. It was the same thing when teams played Spain. You know, they were the glim- glimmers of hope, and then they eventually overtake you. That's why I know, you know we're not necessarily previewing the final, but that's why I think, again, it's it's pretty silly for people to just say, oh, well, Croatia's played all this extra football, so France is going to wipe them out. But <laughs> Croatia plays different football. They keep the ball, and they have, again um, – Think about it. We always said if England could get Lampard and Gerrard playing well together, they could win a World Cup. It's been the same discussion with Croatia, Chris. I don't know how many times you and I have been in press boxes last year at the El Clasico when I turned to you and said, I don't understand why Croatia never wins anything when they have both these guys. Right. Um, and at other games, which we've watched together, where there have been other Croatian players who feed, uh, who've starred. Um, I think the point was once they got Rakitic and Modric in a system where they were both getting enough touches – and working well together, they were going to be really tough to beat. I, I don't care Brazil, France, who they were going to be tough yeah. to beat, and uh, we're seeing that in this World Cup. And and that's the thing. I mean, we'll just finish on this before we move on to TV streaming news. That's the part that we're missing with the Foxes' coverage is somebody to be able to break that down analytically. I mean, Ian Wright was really is really an entertainer. He's kind of joking and <laughs> laughing, and uh, and Kelly Smith is trying her hardest and. Um, Clarence Seedoff was was a good late addition, and he provides his analysis. But then, you mean Lalas is there doing hot takes? But the the four of them are not working together. They're not kind of you mean having that intelligent discussion. There, each of them is a different type of personality, um, and 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 that's the mess that we ended up with Fox. So Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, so Facebook has continued its sports rights shopping spree by reportedly obtaining English Premier League rights for several Southeast Asian countries and Spanish La Liga rights for India. 
According to SportsTechie.com, Facebook is set to have outbid BN Sports and Fox Sports Asia for all 380 fixtures over three Premier League seasons starting in 2019-2020. That's a, the new contract uh, cycle. The amount paid was $265 million U.S., uh, $265 million. The U.K. newspaper wrote that the YouTube and Netflix – that YouTube and Netflix were also interested in some of the EPL's international rights. Uh, as we've said before, keep watching this space. That's where a lot of things are going. Yeah, and especially with that, if true, Netflix uh, at least uh, being interested in international rights. So I, uh, probably Facebook's more likely. But um, what do you think, though, Kartik? I mean, you've been, you've been to India. I mean, in terms of watching games on, on Facebook, Premier League games, uh, how would that be received? I think there are more people in India on Facebook than in the – I mean the U.S., the popularity of Facebook has actually dropped. I mean I've seen some data on that and, and metrics on that from, from uh, marketing people. Uh, I think it will probably uh, work out. Uh, the, but for La Liga, the, the big thing now is that they're not going to have Cristiano Ronaldo. So that's um, – that's a pretty big blow in those sorts of markets, in, in markets like India where the interest in La Liga was driven by um, by uh, Ronaldo and Messi. Now, I think it'd be, this World Cup might end up being useful for them because they're still going to have a, a, either a Griezmann win it uh, or, a, or a Modric or a Rakitic. So some major La Liga star is going to win the World Cup. But I think losing Ronaldo takes a bite out of them in those secondary markets. Speaking of Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, we've got an update on the Serie A TV rights uh, battle in the United States. So, as um, so, so, so some of the history around this is that uh, for the 2017-18 season that ended, uh, that was the last season on BN Sports in the United States. Uh, and since then, there's been a lot of um, uh, conjecture in terms of where it's going. According to my sources, uh, it's a battle between ESPN and Turner Sports over who is going to acquire the uh, the rights in the United States to Serie A. Now, before Cristiano Ronaldo uh, signed for, uh, for Juve, uh, it was really a battle between ESPN Plus and Bleacher Report Live, the streaming services for who would get Serie A. And from what I understand uh, from IMG, Serie A rights, uh, the FA Cup was uh, added to the Serie A rights to combine them together because the, um, the, the TV broadcasters weren't that interested in Serie A. Now with Ronaldo signing for, for Juventus, everything changes. And it, it, this possibility, there could be a late, uh, you mean it could be somebody coming in late, whether it's Fox or somebody else uh, coming in for these bids now that uh, Ronaldo is going to be part of the Serie A package. But one note of caution for Serie A fans, because there's, there's going to be a lot of people uh, applauding on, on Twitter and social media that being sports uh, no longer has the rights. But be, be careful what you, uh, you wish for, because if the league does go with ESPN or Turner Sports, it could still be that most of those games will be on ESPN Plus or Bleacher Report Live. Both of them are paid subscription services. Uh, ESPN Plus is $5 a month. Bleacher Report Live, we're still yet to find out what the cost of that's going to be. So it's an interesting uh, timing. I mean, the, the timing actually for uh, Serie A is perfect if they can get some, maybe some new bidders to come into the process or if it's too late at least to be able to increase the, the value of those rights. But uh, watch this space and see what happens. Uh, meanwhile, in the UK, BT Sports has lost the Serie A TV rights to 11 sports. And 11 Sports uh, is in the U.S. also. 11 Sports yep. has the Belgian League. 
and uh, is owned by the owner of uh, Leeds United. Correct, who's a resident here in, in the Miami area. Uh, just one quick uh, uh, point on uh, your your Serie, what you just said about Serie. A. Keep in mind what happened with the English Championship. People were applauding when the matches were on ESPN three. Once ESPN Plus launched, they put everything behind the ESPN Plus play, paywall, including the playoff final. So, uh, which. Right. It was always very accessible on BN, even if BN was sporadic in how they covered the season to that point. So, again, sometimes be careful what you wish for. Yeah, um, it'll, it'll be interesting, though, to contact to see. I mean, it's, say ESPN does get get the rights to Serie A, is if they put the vast majority of the Serie A games on ESPN+, and then maybe just save the, the event, or maybe the big games, and, and maybe have those on ESPN2. That's a possibility. Or they could say, with like, like the championship, and say, hey, everything's on ESPN+, and we want to drive people to subscribe to that service. Yeah, um, certainly a lot to think about there. Moving on, according to the Wall Street Journal, both Fox Sports and Telemundo have lost money on the World Cup. Fox paid $200 million for the rights to the 2018 World Cup. As of July 7th, Fox's World Cup TV ad revenue was roughly $107 million. This is in comparison to to $187 million that ESPN generated in TV ad revenue for the entire 2014 tournament. And so far, Fox is reporting they still have an ad uh, sold all the ad inventory for the World Cup final. Meanwhile, Telemundo paid $300 million for the Spanish language rights to this World Cup. And so far, Telemundo has generated only $127 million in ad revenue compared to the $336 million that Univision generated for the entire 2014 World Cup. So um, I think the networks maybe can say they bought a little prestige at a cost, uh, particularly Telemundo, because they're a distant second to Univision in, in Spanish language um, households. Uh, but uh, both are going to end up losing money, it looks like. Okay, can't take a question for you here on the spot. Is that uh, obviously, I mean, a big factor in this, obviously, is the U.S. men's national team not making it uh, qualifying for the World Cup. Those numbers would have been completely different if, if the U.S. had made it. But were there any managers or any coaches from this tournament that you, you, you saw that you might say that person might be a good fit for the, the men's national team job? For the U.S.? Yeah. I don't know wh- why anyone would take the job. I know I've been hearing about Roberto Martinez, but I don't know why he would want to take the U.S. job and subject himself to the rules and regulations and uh, the um, sort of uh, bureaucracy of the U.S. Soccer Federation. I mean, look, Dalich has impressed me, uh, the, the Croatian manager, who, by the way, was managing the United Arab Emirates. Let me you know, back up here and uh, tell the story. He, he was managing the United Arab Emirates. Croatia was one game away from being eliminated and qualifying with all the talent they have, as we've talked about you know, two of the best midfielders in the world, arguably one of the best wingers in the world, one of the best holding midfielders in the world, a guy in Kovacic who uh, uh, is one of the emerging talents uh, in the world. And they were about to be eliminated. They'd finished behind Iceland. They needed to go to Ukraine and beat Ukraine in Kiev. They hire Dalich, who had been managing the United Arab Emirates and around the Middle East for the last six or seven years, has never managed at a big European club, never had a cap with the Croatian men's national team. You know, was kind of just a a big part player in his time. Uh, He wins that game in Kiev. They then smash Greece in the playoff. Uh, That was just to get into the playoff to win that game. Mm -hmm. And they haven't looked back. And I noticed in the very first game against Nigeria, even though they were leading 1-0, Things were not going well. He made a, a tactical change to bring Brozovic on, Cranbridge off, uh, and allowed Modric and Rakitic, particularly Modric, to have more kind of space to operate. And Croatia hasn't looked back since. And then he had to make a, a kind of an opposite change against Denmark to keep Croatia alive in that game. 
and it worked. And he's tinkered a lot. You know, Rebic, Kovacic, uh, if Perisic plays uh, wide or whether, you know, he's given kind of running room to make diagonal runs. Um, he's really impressed me as far as uh, managers are concerned. I guess um, Sampole, I've heard, linked with the U.S. job. I, I don't know why he would want to manage the U.S. Um yeah, I mean, there's some there's some managers who definitely impressed me. I mean, Carlos Quiroz has ties to the U.S. Soccer Federation in the past, has worked for the Federation. I think Iran was pretty good in this tournament before they were eliminated. Uh, and there are people who tell me, oh, well, yeah, that would be a natural fit. But again, um, I don't know if he would do it at this point. So yeah. uh, I think there are options, definitely. But my expectation is that the U.S. either hires uh, – uh, either hires a, a current MLS manager or someone that they're really comfortable with. That's uh, maybe a former kind of Americanized, you know, like an Osorio, that type yeah. of person. Yeah. I think, I think all, all, all everything's pointing to Osorio uh, to be the yeah. next coach. I mean, the, the one person, I mean, you mentioned Roberto Martinez, which would have been a perfect fit uh, in many ways, but with him signing a new contract with Belgium, uh, that's unlikely. And why would he leave the Belgian job to take the U.S. job? That's why I, I well, don't understand the why. I mean, again, because like Grant Wall like to make uh, make the U.S. job into a bigger deal than it is. It's it's you know it's well, not a, it's not a terribly relevant job at the international level. Yeah, but, but but going back to what you said earlier, which is like, why would anyone take us take it with all the bureaucracy? And why would Roberto Martinez take it? Money. I mean, I mean, I mean, the U.S. men's national team. We can see from these World Cup numbers in terms of, you mean, Fox and Telemundo, the pressure that they must be putting on USSF, saying, "Hey, uh, we we bought the rights to this World Cup. You better make sure that you, mean, you bring a, a top level manager in and get this team back 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 playing well, because we're losing money. We're losing millions." Um, I mean, and that's just one angle of it. There's a whole bunch of ang- other angles, but I, I think it's money. Is is that the USSF should be able to pay? Top level salary to somebody to bring him in and Look, just change and, and things. And I know this hasn't been talked about a whole lot. And I guess maybe on, uh, maybe it's been on Twitter a little bit. Maybe people like Grant Wall have reported it. I know when cl- things were getting really bad during the Klinsman period, towards the end of Klinsman's tenure, sponsors of U.S. soccer were beginning to put pressure on them, saying, "Hey, well, you know, uh, you might not qualify for. Or turn out didn't qualify for the World Cup after the yeah. coaching change was made, but you may not qualify. The team isn't consistently." Uh, performing well even in, in, in the Gold Cup anymore, uh, make this change or make some sort of change. Yeah. So the pressure can come from there and, and uh, from ESPN and Fox and from uh, Telemundo and Univision and from sponsors. So that's a good point. Maybe maybe Roberto Martinez is in play if, that's, if that pressure comes. But I, I don't know why Martinez would uh, – there's kind of a, a rule and faith in Martinez. Uh, as badly as things went for Everton – you get you get to the analysis pre-tournament, and guys like Stuart Robson would say, "Oh yeah, look at look at the squad Belgium has." But I have concerns about the manager. We know Roberto Martinez. Um, there would be consistent analysis like that about Belgium. That's gone now. I think people are saying, "Okay, they didn't go well against France. He didn't have Mounier. Mounier gets suspended. They don't have another right back." Um, but he did a good job. So I don't know that he wants to risk that at this point by taking the U.S. job. Yeah, I think uh, I, I mean I mean the issue is more I think about the uh, he's under contract. I think he's got like what a three three or four year deal left uh, with Belgium. So in terms of breaking that contract, how much that, would that cost the USSF to have to pay to the, the Belgian FA? Um, I mean, one is money. The second of all, of it is uh, if that person was able to push the US up and and you mean take him far in a tournament. I mean, you're a rock star. You're you're you mean a huge. I mean, the potential, the upside is much much greater than than, than the downside. 
and this U.S. team right now has a long way to go. You I mean it's it's nowhere near um, as good <clears throat> as good as other nations, uh, but there's an opportunity at least uh, to actually to be become the hero and to become you I mean the greatest manager ever. You I mean in the United States type of thing, but. Uh, He'll probably end up being an MLS coach. <laughs> Who are we kidding? All right, Kostik, let's well, move forward. Former MLS coach in Osorio, right? A guy that was yeah. MLS for a, few, yeah. a long period of time. Let's move on. Just one last news item before we move into TV ratings. Yeah. Uh, so in May, we reported that Fox Sports had acquired the Liga and Nike's rights to club Tijuana, the Zolos. Now we're starting to see that Fox Sports regional channels will be broadcasting the games beginning uh, next week, July 21st. The first to announce to show that they, that they'll show the games is Fox Sports Arizona. Hopefully, we'll learn, hear more from other Fox Sports regional channels soon. Chris, I can give an update on this. I've talked to uh, uh, some sources around the uh, Fox Sports Florida and Fox Sports Sun, the two uh, regional networks in Florida. There is some interest in airing these games. I'm not guaranteeing they will be, but they might be on locally here in the state of Florida. So that's good news for you and me and our listeners in Florida if that happens. Definitely. All right, TV ratings. So we don't have uh, a ton of numbers to talk about this week. We will have all of them on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, we're busy compiling those. But uh, just, a, just a few numbers that jump out. Um, 6.3 million for Russia-Croatia quarterfinal on Fox on Saturday. Uh, that one, part, part of the reason it was a, such a huge number is, one, it's, uh, it's on a weekend. Uh, two, it went into extra time and penalty kicks. And three, it was an entertaining game too. So six six point three average, uh, six point three million average for Fox there. The England Croatia semi final on Fox, which is on Wednesday during uh, office hours, you mean two p.m. Eastern, had five point five million on Fox, and uh, we're still waiting to get the, the numbers from Telemundo in regards to what they got. Uh, one more thing is from this past weekend, we had the the double header, had the, the World Cup game. I think the Russia-Croatia game, actually. And then right after that was um, the MLS game, and it was the Sounders against the Timbers. And that one had 1.16 million viewers, uh, marking the third largest Major League Soccer regular season audience since 2008. So Major League Soccer is doing really well in terms of um, kind of uh, living off the the World Cup uh, viewership. So hopefully that will continue. All right, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, the first one up is from Zach uh, Burrowin uh, via Twitter. He says, The problems with Fox Sports' uh, production and analysis are bad regardless of the sport. Superficial analysis, not enough focus on the game itself. It has to be the producers and production philosophy. Uh, the talent is better when they're not shackled by Fox. NFL is worse. And, and that goes back to what we talked about last week where we asked... What is it? What what is it about Fox's coverage that makes it so bad? Is it is it the talent? Is it the production? Is it the philosophy? And um, some good feedback there from Zach in terms of uh, some of the coverage, uh, Fox's coverage of other sports. Ross Devonport uh, through Twitter says the only way to watch the World Cup in the U.S. is with this method: 4K video feed muted, and then the BBC TV commentary synced through an iPad to the Bluetooth soundbar. So I that's, like that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good setup. Uh, Clay DeVoe on Twitter says, uh, the Fox broadcasts, all of them, have been incredibly poor, boring, and simplistic. Uh, Martin O'Neill, Derek Ray, Stuart Holden, John Strong, Mariano, uh, actually, Jorge Perez Navarro, Mariano Trujillo, 
and Grant Wall have been the bright spots. Uh, Miola has been the most improved. Actually, most improved, I would, I would say that. Not perfect by any means, but most improved, definitely. Anthony Bello, through email, says, uh, Hi, guys. Great job covering the World Cup. But seeing it's about to end and we are about to go back to normal with the club season, I have a couple of questions. With Ronaldo going to Juventus, uh, do you think the Serie A deal will get done in the, in the States by the start of the season? Uh, in answer to that, yes, definitely. It's looking very likely it'll get done by the end of uh, July. Uh, and I think the season starts about the middle of August. Uh, also, how do you guys think uh, this will affect La Liga TV ratings this season and TV rights negotiations next year? Kartik, you want to take that one? Yeah, I think it's going to hurt uh, La Liga rights. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and uh, the ratings have been so good, you know, and maybe above Bian's um, price point going forward. Maybe this gives Bian a break to where they can retain the ratings. I still expect it may, the package to be competitively bid on it's still barcelona and real madrid which are brand names irrespective of players right and have developed that that following in the united states uh, but uh you know, perhaps there's a um there's a fallback uh, uh, factor here without ronaldo in the league and without uh neymar in the league and that's a, that's another factor although he could be back in the league maybe killian Mbappe comes out of this tournament as the next great global superstar he ends up in la liga uh, by the time this new TV deal is negotiated, uh, who knows? But I think it, it can't help. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, and, and uh, it's important to note, too, that uh, La Liga, uh, this is the last season that's going to be on BN Sports. So as of the end of the 2018-19 the season, uh, that's it. And then it's up for bidding, and uh, maybe BN Sports will, will uh, retain it, or maybe somebody else will come in uh, for this rights. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, Anthony says, finally, will Bleacher Report be on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV? Good question. I don't know the answer to that, um, but uh, I will check with Bleacher Report and see if I can get the answer to that. And then um, let's go ahead and move down to Nuke uh, via Twitter. says, uh, we are not renewing our NYCFC season tickets because of the stupid nets the Yankees installed. Where is the stadium? And so the stadium, I know, I saw a piece this week said that said that they're going back to a, a site or lo- location near the first place they were thinking of having a stadium, and they're looking into that. Uh, have you heard about the Nets, Kartik? Yeah, I have. Um, it's just a mess, this whole thing, and, and somehow uh, that club continues to, to perform pretty well. I mean, obviously, uh, the parent uh, ship, uh, the mothership, uh, City Football Group in Manchester City have have uh, sent them two really high-level coaches in a row. Um, but, wow, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, even it, it's so difficult in this political climate now with getting funding and land, not just funding. Forget funding. Even if you're going to privately fund something, land uh, for a sports stadium where the, the general feeling is in urban areas. And this is what we're going through in South Florida now with Miami. The general feeling is you want as much green space as possible. Um, and I complain often that there isn't enough green space in, in Miami. As Miami's gone from this kind of sleepy um, Florida, typical Florida city to, to now a global international commercial uh, center, you know, a major international financial center also, uh, that it, there's, there's no park space in, in downtown. There's no park space in the city. Um, New York has a lot of park space, but they don't want to give up that park space for uh, a, a stadium, uh, which which we've seen uh, already that, that go through that process. Uh, 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 
with with also with the Cosmos also prior yeah. to New York City FC. So I, I I'm not terribly optimistic. I think it's a little unfortunate for MLS. The timing is bad. I mean, they came in and became, emerged as a as a strong league and a popular uh, this emerged as a popular sport after, quite frankly, Major League Baseball uh, in particular had pillaged municipalities and, and, and local governments throughout the country, uh, getting uh, uh, stadiums built in, 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 in urban centers and in city cores uh, that have not had the economic benefit that uh, their, their projections, their very skewed projections uh, Promise. forecast. Right. So it's tough now to get a stadium. I don't know what's going to happen with New York City FC. I honestly don't. I, I, I think it's really unfortunate. I, I tend to be a person who cuts MLS some slack on this because I understand the political difficulties. Um, and I know that there's there, there's people out there who've said, hey, there's one standard for Cincinnati and Orlando and Minnesota and um, wherever else, Nashville. And then there's another standard for New York and Miami. You also have to understand from a commercial standpoint for Major League Soccer, New York and Miami are global uh, commercial centers or global media centers. You need to be in those markets. So um, the rules for Miami just logically shouldn't be like the rules for Nashville. No offense to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, a lot to chew on here, but but uh, Nuke, I, I kind of appreciate frustration and, and understanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. New York's definitely a challenge. Uh, with Miami, I still say, I mean, go back to Miami Lakes and play at Hard Rock Stadium, uh, one of the one of the best uh, soccer stadiums in the country. And you've got a stadium already there that's not going to cost you a dime. Uh, and, and it's not being used from, what, March to September. Um, but there's other political issues with that, which we won't Right, well, the we tennis tournament will be going on down in March right there. So that's yeah. the issue. Yeah, but I don't know. That's that's a, a small issue. I don't know how long the Miami Open is going to be. That's a whole other issue. We'll get right. into that another time. All right, last question is from Edition by Relegation through Twitter. And this one's for you, Kartik. It says, uh, would you... Would it be possible for Kartik to give a quick update on the status of NASL? I haven't heard much about it since they cancelled the season, and I'm curious what their plans are for the future. Oh, boy. Okay, so um, there's been motions filed in the trial, uh, the antitrust case, and a potential trial date, uh, about a potential trial date and discovery phase just in the last week, uh, since July 3rd, so in the last uh, 10 days, excuse me, uh, that have... Uh, um, not really been reported on widely. I'm actually putting together something uh, for sport business on it that will probably run next week just because everybody's been caught up in the World Cup. It just haven't given those updates. Now, based on those pleadings and those um, filings, I think it's pretty safe to say 2019 will not happen and 2020 is in jeopardy in terms of um, those seasons. Now, Rocco Camiso this past week, after he um, his deal to buy AC Milan fell through, has said the New York Cosmos will be back and playing somewhere next season. Um, I'm on the inside in my, at Miami FC. I can tell you that that organization remains committed to trying to find a place to play. Uh, my understanding is Jacksonville, who I'll see tomorrow. Uh, they play Miami FC in the championship game of, of the NPSL conference. Uh, is in a similar mode, but um, the league itself will not will not have a 2019 season. I think that's it hasn't been formally canceled, but based on the um, even the, the the filings of the court case, it would be impossible for them to have a 2019 season. It, it, so we're looking at 2020 at the earliest. Um, I will say that there are conversations going on, uh, addition by relegation, that um, may give us another professional league in this country outside of USL uh, involving some of the, the top teams in UPSL and, and, and NPSL and, and some startups uh, potentially, 
or you might just see teams go to USL. You know, yeah. both, both options are in play. Yeah, I mean, the sad thing is uh, from myself, a neutral kind of looking at this, is that you've had USSF, Major League Soccer, and USL effectively working together to to shut NASL down and, and to push them down and, and uh, get mired in, in court uh, cases and uh, even all this... All this, all this stupid nonsense, really. At the end of the day, and uh, the end result is NESL is, is not is not playing, and then it looks like 2019 is very unlikely, and 2020 is in jeopardy. So, um, yeah, it's it's awful. And, and and then you've got the two uh, most prominent owners. I just have to throw this out there, and I'm cheesed at the beginning of the show. In Rocco Camiso and Ricardo Silva, both looking at. Uh, Investing in AC Milan. Uh, Ricardo Silva is a, a AC Milan fan, lifelong AC Milan fan. So uh, that's another factor where, again, eventually, if you choke the life out of independent soccer or sort of soccer outside of USL and MLS, you will have investors that are putting their money in the US market. And in the case of Camiso, a guy who's an American, uh, begin to spend money overseas that they would have spent in the domestic market. And I think that's a very damaging thing. It's great for Milan. It's a club that's been through a lot the last few years, a fall from grace, and uh, great to have some new investment there. But it's it's not necessarily good for American soccer that you lose that level of investor, that level of owner. But, um, you know, to be continued, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And these are multimillionaires, too. So it's uh, no small change there. Uh, so you can always reach us uh, via email if you have any questions, feedback, um, need advice, anything you want to get off your off your chest uh, through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on the website worldsoccertalk.com and we would be glad to read those out on air. So, Kartik, where can they find you if they want to catch up on your latest uh, rants and uh, insights uh, on Twitter? Yeah, uh, KKFLA737, and, and hopefully uh, in the very near future have some written articles out there uh, at sportbusiness.com, as I mentioned, and also at worldsoccertalk.com. Yeah, and you can reach me at World Soccer Talk. So thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, heading into what is the World Cup final weekend, what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>